We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Dame More NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. And we got a few things to talk about tonight after tonight's 137-121 loss, the Los Angeles Lakers. We'll get into what went wrong in this game, of course. But I also kind of want to compare uh, this loss tonight to, to the first time the Wolves played the Lakers earlier this season. I think it's kind of a Compare and contrast, obviously, a 16-point loss tonight, but that, that first one is really where things started to to break when they lost to the Lakers by 36 points earlier in the that third game of the season. I also want to talk a little bit about Ricky Rubio, who has definitely picked up his play of late, and I think that's worth making some notes on. And then I will also close this episode with 5-10 minutes of some John Collins film review. Um, I've been, as I've kind of been mentioning, I've been watching him, and I just think there's... It's worth actually watching the players, <laughs> I think, who, who your team might trade for rather than just, um, you know, rather than just spending the time on the trade machine. So we'll talk about what I saw in, in John Collins, the player, after watching a few of his games. But starting with tonight's game. So after starting off kind of the second half of the season here in a nice little rhythm with those, you know, two wins in the first three games, they, I mean, it could have been three wins if they would have pulled off that that first Blazers game, which was close. Um, but yeah, after those after those first three, tonight was certainly the Timberwolves coming back down to earth a little bit tonight against the Lakers. But it was just like normal earth, not, not back to whatever planet it was there earlier on in the season. And and yeah, again, I just, I think it's worth comparing and contrasting. Again, 16-point loss, not a 36-point loss like before. And I don't want to ever put a near 20-point loss into like the moral victory category. But when you do compare it to that first game, I mean, I think you can take solace 
and the idea that this Timberwolves group looks like they at least play in the same professional sports league as the Lakers. I mean, that first game was a disaster. And really, like, I've got the, that box score from that game up right here. Like, the only difference between that Wolves team in that first game that played against the Lakers and the Wolves team that played the Lakers tonight is no cat, which obviously that's a big difference. But the Wolves did have D'Angelo Russell. They did have Malik Beasley. They did have Jared Culver in that first game. And obviously those three did not play tonight. The starters in that first one were Nas, Akogi, Lehman, Beasley, and Russell. And tonight the starters were Cat, Vanderbilt, Lehman, Edwards, and Rubio. Which I guess now that I'm saying that and then <laughs> looking at those names, I'm realizing the only player that started in both those games was Jake Lehman. But if you if you look at that first game, I mean, you know, it's it's Nas, Cat, Akogi, Vanderbilt, right? Kind of the same. Lehman, Lehman, that's obviously the same. Um, you would think that, you know, Beasley and Russell would be better than Edwards and Rubio. But the five starters in that in that first game where they lost by 36, the starters only scored 37 total points in that game. And tonight, Towns had 29, Edwards had 29, and Rubio had 19, which is, I mean, combine that together, that's, that's 77 points. That's more than double what the whole starters put out in that first game. So, yes, this group tonight was a lot better. They at least looked like they belonged on the floor at the Lakers, you know. But the real similarity, I think, between those two games, the, the unfortunate one is the defense and just how the Lakers' offense just absolutely exploited the Wolves sort of the exact same way as they did that first time. The Lakers did their thing. They got on transition every possible time they could. And they and then when they couldn't, when they were in the half court, they just, they just picked the Wolves apart in the pick and roll in the half court. And... You know, and with this Wolves team, you know, those two elements of their defense are where they consistently break down, not just against the Lakers. And that's kind of that's kind of where I want to start tonight. Like, I mean, while many of us, myself included, I've talked about this extensively, are, are excited about the Wolves, you know, switching up their defensive scheme under Finch, like, we, it isn't a cure-all. Like, they still clearly have problems. The Wolves rank... 25th in the league in transition defense. The transition defense points allowed per possession this season, which was clearly a problem. And I know 25th doesn't sound that bad. I mean, they rank like 27th in overall defense, so that almost sounds like an upgrade. But the reason transition defense is such an impactful problem for this team is you got to remember how fast the Wolves like to play. You know, their games are in transition all the time. Like, only one other team in the league plays more frequently in transition defense than the Wolves do, according to Synergy. So if you're playing the second most in transition, second most in transition defense, and you're the fifth worst team at defending in transition defense, then that's going to kill your defense. Ricky Rubio talked about that a little bit after tonight's game. Hey, Ricky, uh, transition defense has been a, an issue for, for you guys most of the season here. How... How do you think, and maybe it's tougher against a team like the Lakers, but what are the biggest things that need to change in terms of improving that aspect of your game? Uh, yeah, I mean, against the Lakers, they're one of the best, if not the best team doing it. But, of course, uh, we got to know the rules. And when the shot goes up is when start the transition defense. And there's got to be at least two or three guys back. Um 
think we're not doing a good job on that. We were, were coming off the break. I think we had like a really good three games on a defensive end, but tonight we took a step back and we just have to regroup, uh, get better. And, 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 and of course, that area is one of the ones that uh, tonight hurt us the most. Coach Finch was saying, you know, when you miss a layup in the NBA because you have guys that are around the basket and maybe guys that have, have spotted up in the corner for threes, it's almost like a turnover when you miss a layup. Um, how do you how do you maybe strike that balance of trying to have guys back to cover in transition, but also trying to get optimal shots? Uh, yeah, it's, I, I mean, shot selection is really important. and It, it can hurt your defense, that's for sure. Uh, of course, a layup. Uh, we're supposed to make it, but uh, at the end of the day, if you miss it or make it, uh, there's a lot of teams that take the ball out real quick, and we got to know where to be to really get back on defense. Uh, corners got to spring back um, and don't crash the ball, especially from the top uh, on a layup situation. So uh, we got to be on the same page, all five out there, on, and do a better job. There definitely is a correlation for this team, you know, with their effectiveness around the rim, as Rabu was talking about, and how that kind of leads to runouts. I mean, the Wolves are the fifth worst in the league in field goal percentage in the restricted area this season. They only make 60% of their shots from there. So we got the other 40% of those shots at the rim that the Wolves are missing. And if those shots are not offensive rebounded, then, I mean, that's just math, right? You're at a disadvantageous situation once you're going back into transition defense. And I mean, you're if you watch tonight or you watch these other games, I mean, you're seeing it when you watch these games. It's the whole, I mean, the kind of meme of it, right? It's the, is when one of these guys, they, they drive to the basket and they miss the layup and they fall over. You know, how many times do the Wolves not only miss a shot at the rim, but the guy taking the shot falls over while he's taking it. You know, now your team is not only has a longer way to run back because you're at the rim, but a lot of times you're playing four on five back the other direction. And, you know, a sign of growth for this team since the All-Star break is that even tonight, where they, they struggled a little bit around the rim, is that they have made 69% of their shots in the restricted area in these four games. And a small sample, but that's, you know, that's 10th best in the league. And, you know, it's, it's definitely one area where the whole idea of, right, your offense impacting your defense, like layups, are, are meaningful in that way. And if you're making them, you can you have that more time to transition back and play in half-court defense. The Wolves need more of that. The other area of defensive concern for this team, you know, with the Lakers again tonight, was they were just totally exploited, you know, defending against pick-and-rolls. LeBron James and Montrezl Harrell just picked apart the Wolves with that high-screen-and-roll game in the second half over and over again, which we've seen this season, right? And, you know, pulling up some of these the numbers here, like the Wolves pick and roll numbers defensively aren't quite as bad as the transition defense. They're actually pretty mediocre. They rank 17th in the league against pick and rolls where the ball handler shoots the shot. And they're 22nd in pick and rolls where the roll man shoots the shot. That's not awful. But what tends to happen is that opponents like LeBron and Harold tonight, you know, they kind of find that hole against the Wolves and they just go, back to it over and over again. And it's kind of in these turning points of the game where because the Wolves just don't seem to have the ability to cork that hole that 
the opponent just kind of spreads the gap right there, and that's where a four-point game becomes a 12-point game. And, you know, it's it's particularly it's the Lakers. That's hard to come back from. And, you know, I mean, part of that is that the Wolves just kind of have mismatches here, right? Like, according to Synergy, the four players that are most frequently on the ball when the opponent runs a pick and roll are Rubio. He has 155 possessions. He ranks in the 41st percentile. Okogie, 124 possessions. He ranks in the 39th percentile. Beasley, 109 possessions, 20th percentile. And Edwards, 103 possessions, 18th percentile. That is not strong on ball personnel. And I mean, that's obviously that's part of the reason why you're seeing these schematic changes defensively, right? Like we talk so much, or I was talking so much about Cat and, you know, monitoring the big there. Well, the reality with this roster is, I mean, uh, D'Angelo Russell isn't even in that list I put up right there because he hasn't played that much. I mean, you're going to add him to the on ball players, you know, as he returns back. Like this team. You know, they just don't have strong point-of-attack defenders. And, you know, yeah, you can adjust your scheme, but you can't just scheme out pick-and-rolls. Like, opponents are going to still be able to go to that. And the Wolves personnel is just going to be put in situations where they're asked to defend that action. And, you know, we, we talk about all the time, right? It's like, oh, what are the, what are the Timberwolves need in the trade market? Power forward, we talk about. You know, Aaron Gordon, John, we're going to talk about John Collins in a bit here, right? And that seems to be so the focus when we when we talk about the Timberwolves and what they need is a power forward. But, I mean, really another <clears throat> area of need for this team is just better on-ball personnel. I mean, skill set-wise, right, it's, it's Josh Okogie and Jarrett Culver who have that. But, you know, given their offensive shortcomings, it's just, you just can't lean on that because they're not on the floor that much. So if the Wolves could add an on-ball defender of a Kogi or Culver's, you know, defensive caliber that could also knock down open looks on defense, I mean, that would go a hell of a long way too. Like, power forward is not the only position of need on this team. And I think we we just kind of brush over this because we're like, well, you know, the Wolves have, they got a bunch of wings. They got Ant and they got Beasley and they got Noel's great and all that, you know, like... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. They still need wings. They, that's, that's, that's still a need. Wings that can defend and shoot the ball. That's something worth thinking about, I think, when we're playing around with the trade machine. 
We're going to take a quick break here, but after the break, I do want to hit on two more things. Again, Ricky Rubio's play of late, and then a little, uh, little bit on John Collins. All right, let's talk about Ricky Rubio. Rubio, you know, I mean, on this podcast and just around Wolves world, like, Rubio became a bit of a punching bag early on in the season, right? Like, and his play, a lot of that was deserved. I mean, he really looked like a shell of himself for the first 20 games of the season. And yet that, I mean, really brought a lot into question from, you know, not only why did you make the trade for Rubio in the first place, but just to even scarier idea that Rubio just might be out of gas. Like he might be the downside of his career and everything is not fixed here with Rubio. Like there are still major questions to be answered about, you know, his effectiveness, particularly with, or when he's on the floor with D'Angelo Russell, that pairing has a major cloud hanging over it. But at the same time, it is at least worth noting that Rubio as an individual, you know, He's been playing a lot better of late. And and tonight was really a good example of that. I mean, he had 19 points, 12 assists, three steals. He was six of six shooting from two, getting to the rim. And he was two of five from three. And I mean, that's a little bit above his averages, but it's those performances are becoming less of an outlier. Rubio's now started the past 16 games. And in those 16 games, he's scoring 12 points per game shooting 49% from two and 39% from three with seven and a half assists and three boards and less than two turnovers. So, you know, I mean, he's, he's playing 28 minutes per game for this team in those, in those 16 games. And um, that means a little bit more Rubio. I mean, he was playing 24 minutes per game before that, but I mean, he's getting so much more out of those minutes now. I mean, on a similar minute load, right? He's, he's basically doubled his scoring output. From before, he was averaging 6.1 points per game. And, and you know, most of that is just better shooting from him. Before the move to the starting lineup, which was kind of those first 21 games of the season he played in, Rubio was only shooting 41% from two and 19% from three. And, I mean, just offensively, that's a pretty important development. You know, not only, not only for Rubio's own individual production, but that type of output has you know, just having a competent point guard play out there, I mean, that has a pretty profound impact on Edwards and Towns. I asked Kat after the game just about, you know, what's what's sort of changed in Ricky? Carl, uh, Ricky was just up before you, and he's, he's talking about how he's feeling a lot more comfortable, feeling a lot more effective out there. I'm wondering, is there was there a period of time over the last month or something where you kind of saw some something change in him where, where you knew that was going to, maybe trigger um, what his, his more effective game here over the past couple months or month or so? Um, I feel like it just clicked one time. He just stopped worrying about all the, the BS in his head and just finally just said, I'm going to go out there and just make it. And I, talk, I told him, you know, there's, if there's one person I trust more than anyone on his team, it's him. And he always comes through. He doesn't have to score to be as effective as he is. And, um you know, obviously it's great when he's being effective, like he is now shooting the ball the way he is and stuff. But, uh, you know, I just, I just told him we have, you know, especially me, I have full confidence in him and he's going to figure it out. And 
I want to say that too for me. I, I'm not shooting the three ball well, but shoot or shoot. I had this. I, I had this two years ago when I first in the first uh, two years ago in the beginning of the year, I believe. With and I remember talking to Devin Booker in Phoenix, and I mean, I was not shooting well. I was shooting like garbage, and um, it was like ten games straight, just not hitting. Couldn't find a way. Um, and you know, I remember I talked to Devin, and my dad just said. Uh, no, actually, it was uh, Ryan told me, he said, don't worry, averages always find themselves and work themselves out. You'll be fine. And next thing you know, I think I went, we played Chicago. I went like six for six and stuff like that. So I'm not, I'm not worried about the shooting. It'll find itself. And there's a lot of games to go. And, uh, but Ricky, Ricky's just, Ricky's just so good that he doesn't have to think the way he's thinking, the way he was thinking before. He's just so good that once he touches the basketball, he knows exactly what to do. And, you know, he was just having one of those slumps where it was just not going in for him. Things were just not working out well. I think no off, no preseason, no training camp, you know, you know, it's kind of, the flow was kind of off and he finally found it. it he found himself in the game and uh, he's shooting the ball tremendously well. And uh, as long as he keeps popping back for three, I'm gonna keep passing on the ball. I wanted to ask you real quick about your wrist too. You, you said like a month ago, it wasn't healed like by any means. You're still wearing that wrap. You kind of came down on it. What was that on Sunday night? How's, how's that left wrist, left wrist feeling? Same way it was a month ago. <laughs> it ain't get any better, but it ain't get any worse. So do you think uh, that's just something that you'll have to just wait till the off season with? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you tell me how many times I shot with my left hand this year. I've been noticing. <laughs> there you go. It is worth noting that Ricky's move to the starting lineup and this kind of major boost in his output has happened at the exact same time that Cat came back, right? Like, obviously, Cat's first game back was D'Lo's first game out, and Ricky moved in the starting lineup for D'Lo. But, you know, related to Cat there, and as you heard him kind of pivot in his answer there, um, it is worth noting that Cat has not shot the ball. Well, since he's returned, he's 31 of 90 from deep since he came back, which is only 34%. And that's, you know, that's a pretty big dip for a guy who, who shot 41.2% from three last year on eight threes per game. I mean, if you run the math there on like what he's, he's shot 90 shots here, like he should be making 37 of those 90 and he's only made 31 of them. And so, I mean, in ways you're like, oh, it's only six, but at the same time, like six made threes is 18 points. It's not nothing. The Wolves, like, getting on a little run here, you know, that almost certainly requires, you know, well, more shooting all around, but more, more shooting from Cat, you know, getting back to his, that offensive output that he showed at the beginning of last season. Because, yes, this team just desperately does still need, need shooting out there. Another way to add shooting, how about this transition? Is John Collins. <laughs> the Wolves now have four games over the next eight days um, until the trade deadline. And I know many of you, I'm getting, I'm seeing the emails and, you know, the, the fake trades that you're running out there with. And, and a lot of those obviously have John Collins in there. I mean, the, there's, there's certainly real steam out there um, or has been that the, the Wolves are interested in Collins. Um, but what I want to do right now is not like, throw out fake trades or say, you know, how many first round picks is this guy and that, you know, that 
you know, there, there's a time and place for that, but oftentimes, you know, those fake trades are kind of a zero-sum game. And I think when we're talking about trades, what we oftentimes just don't do is talk about the actual player, you know, that you're trading, fake trading for. Like, who are they? You know, we, we, we can all go to basketball reference and pull up the stats, as I'm sure, you know, many of you have done with John Collins. But I, I feel like personally I've learned in doing this for a while that, like, whenever the Wolves do add a player, that my previous perception of that player is often different than what actually, you know, kind of plays out because now I'm actually watching them play every single night. And I'm, I'm seeing, I don't know, I'm seeing more than the box score. And, you know, I mean, we can all pretend to be woke NBA followers, but, like, the reality of the situation is me nor you are like picking apart every Atlanta Hawks game this year. And, you know, it's not totally following what they're doing. You know, you see them on League Pass here and then. But so I, I I just wanted to take kind of over these last, I mean, it's probably been seven, ten days now, you know, take some time to to watch some full Hawks games and and to and to watch what it is that John's call, John Collins is doing out there. And, and, you know, from there, I, at least my process kind of is, is seeing what does and does not line up with my, you know, perception going into it or you know what does and does not line up with the numbers that are publicly available and for me with with Collins actually like a few things really did stick out and I I think just like the the baseline surface understanding of Collins is is he's like a big who can be a really dynamic pick and roll player and he's also a big who can stretch the floor as a four or a small ball five and then you know you know, previously to looking at it, I would have been like, yeah, and he's like an average defender who is maybe a little undersized. That would have been, that would have been my baseline. And, and I think from just like taking that baseline and, and watching for these specific things, I, I don't know, something stood up. So starting with the pick and roll, I think you, you just, you can't understand how, <laughs> understand, you can't undersell how dynamic Collins is as a role man. He is a hard roller who really, you know, paces his dives well but he dives fast you know he's really a hit and go to the rim guy immediately and his teammates in Atlanta know that like they can maybe take one dribble off the screen and then they got to hit him on the lob like right away because one dribble's all you got he'll be at the rim and I, I thought just like one one interesting thing that stood out was was how this you know that part of his game which I would say is the best part of his game is kind of not been as prevalent this year in Atlanta. And I mean, the, the presence of Clint Capella there, who's been very good for them, you know, has just limited the volume of pick and roll opportunities that Collins is getting. I mean, Capella is not only a strong role threat himself, but when he's on the floor, he really takes up that, that role space. If he's just kind of living in the dunker. And I mean, this shows up in his numbers too. Collins is only getting 17% of his shot attempts this year in pick and roll situations. Last year, that number was 28%. But that isn't even like, it's even worse than that. Like, a big portion of those roles this year aren't even rim dives for Collins. Like, he's, because Capella's out there, oftentimes, Collins just kind of has to screen and then pop. Because the space just isn't there. And I think this is interesting from a Wolf standpoint, though, right? Like, you can certainly envision Collins, if he were to join the Timberwolves, leaning back into that part of his game 
where, you know, the, the role opportunities are going to be there. I mean, that's the difference between Cat and Capella. It's easy to envision Collins becoming a high-volume and highly-affected role man again um, if he were to be on the Timberwolves. I mean, last season, again, a bunch of roles pre-Capella, right? And Collins was 82nd percentile on those roles. And the year before that, he was 80, 80th percentile as a role man. So I think, I think there's certainly reason for optimism there with Collins as you fake trade him onto the Timberwolves. The one thing in the, you know, the, the, the offensive game or the, I guess just the, the, that baseline understanding of Collins is I, I, I am more skeptical about his impact as a shooter. And, you know, part of that was just based in the idea of watching him be defended in these situations and teams did not really view him whether this is right or wrong you know he he wasn't really viewed as a major threat in there wasn't a necessarily a sense of urgency to be out defending John Collins like they didn't want him taking wide open ones but they I don't know they weren't staying glued to him put it like that which is kind of interesting because last season Collins did shoot 42.5 percent on catch and shoot threes and almost all of his threes are catch and shoot that is a great number he's He's back down to his career average, which is 38% on catch and shoots this year, which is still good. I mean, the league average this year on catch and shoots is 37.8%. So you can you can definitely you can say confidently that John Collins is an above average catch and shoot player. Not just for a big, but just like the, the whole league. He is an above average catch and shoot player on the perimeter. The one thing I became concerned with, you know, what not not concerned, it just wasn't as dynamic as maybe. I thought was that in these spot up situations when he caught it and didn't shoot, he, he did not attack closeouts well. And that kind of surprised me. You know, he, he often, he often got caught up like trying, trying to go through the body of his defender. If he, if he didn't like get his shoulder past him there. Right. And he's kind of forcing shots in those situations. Or even if he did get by his defender, he, he found himself like forcing his shots through the rim defender who came over and helped. Like he was a, if I'm pumping and going, like I'm going all the way type of guy. And I'm not saying he's necessarily bad off the bounce. Maybe it's, you know, maybe just some better discernment there, um, you know, would, would help. But, but basically it just came down to seeing multiple bodies. And, and when he did it, you know, it, it hurt his effectiveness. And I think the stat that stood out here for me too, that, again, kind of matches the eye test is that, again, Collins is above average catch and shoot three point shooter. But if you look at him in spot up situations, you know, according to synergy, he's only 38th percentile. So, you know, what does that mean? If you're an above average catch and shoot player, like you should be above average in spot up situations. Well, I mean, the reality of the situation is you're not when you're spotting up, you're not only catching and shooting, you're attacking closeouts too. And so that's why I thought that one really, you know, lined up with with what I was seeing in, in the eye test of, you know, he's he's missing a lot of his shots when he's when he's attacking out of closeouts, and you're obviously, you know, trading a three for a two in, in that situation too. So, you know, I, I think this 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 changes, you know, with if it were to be Minnesota, right? Like it's you're not gonna see you're not gonna see two bodies because he'll often, you know, be out there with cat. And, you know, that's the whole Clint, and Clint Capella and Cat thing again, right? It, it's, it's a little bit different, but 
If Collins is catching on the perimeter and Cat is also spread to the perimeter, then when Collins is attacking closeout, he's probably not seeing a rim defender. If he's able to get by his man, like, he should be able to get to the rim. I mean, in a weird way, I think the good example here is Anthony Edwards, what we've seen from Anthony Edwards this year. You know, like, early in the season, right? We remember, like, Ant kept getting met at the rim by opposing centers, and that's because he was often on the floor with Ed Davis, who's kind of your poor man's Clint Capella, right? He's just kind of lurking around the rim. But now that Ant's out there with Cat, the rim defender has to stay more connected to Cat, so so Ant isn't there, like, drive into the rim and being met by Kristaps Porzingis or whatever, Jared Allen or something at the rim because now those rim defenders are out guarding Cat. And I, I just, yeah, I just think there'll be a similarly positive impact on Collins as a word for, I mean, quite frankly, pretty much every player if they're playing next to Cat in those sort of catch-and-drive situations. The final part of Collins, of course, is defense. And I, I think this is probably where I was most encouraged of, like, it exceeded what my expectations were. And I think it's just really an example of a fourth-year player starting, as Collins is, starting to realize the value of defense and just kind of how it impacts winning. He's very intentional about reading the spacing of the floor. I mean, he's one of those classic head-on-a-swivel guys, right? And and on that side of the ball, this is kind of the inverse of the... I mean, he's, he's benefiting from playing next to Clint Capella, right? I think... I think it's pretty clear to me, at least, that John Collins is better defensively at the four. He's He is undersized to play the five, for sure. And and how you see that show up is when you know teams will try and post him up if they have a true center, if they have a Nikola Vucevic, if they have a Jonas Valanciunas. And a lot of, you know, a lot of teams in the league have that these days. And so, I, I mean, I think that's why it, it, it shows up. I mean, obviously, Capella is individually a better defender than Gallinari is, but the Hawks' defensive rating is 109 when Collins is on the floor with Capella and 114 when Collins is on the floor with Gallinari. And that's I don't think that's just a Gallinari thing. I think it's it's a Collins being able to guard force thing. So in ways like with Collins, I think I think the the defensive benefit could almost be like two pence, right? Like Collins would definitely help the Wolves defensively just because he is pretty clearly an above average defender. So he's an upgrade over Vanderbilt or certainly over like a Hernan Gomez. And I know, I mean, he's different than McDaniels. Like McDaniels, I, they're, they're different defenders. I would, McDaniels is, is strong there too. I think McDaniels could still play at the three next to Collins. But generally speaking, you know, you, you go ahead and start giving Collins 35 minutes at power forward. I think the Wolves defense benefits greatly from that. But I also think Collins benefits from it because, you know, now he's pretty much exclusively defending at the four where he's just a better, he's a better defender there because, you know, Cat would be the one who's taking the Vuceviches and the Valanciunas. So I guess that's my take in a nutshell on Collins's film is that I think he would be unlocked, um, you know, to play more as a role man here than he has been able to in Atlanta. And, and he'd benefit from that, you know, giving, and he'd give the Wolves their first real rolling lob threat in years. And then, you know, I, 
the other part is I think he's a little bit of an overrated floor spacer because he's not great at attacking closeouts yet. You know, we'd, we'd see how Cat would impact that. And then defensively, I do really like him. I like his mentality on that end, and I think he would benefit, um, yeah, from, from leaning more into what I believe is his true position at power forward. If the Wolves do make a move, I mean, it's, it's definitely going to be costly in terms of what they're going to have to give up um, for Collins in that deal but obviously costly in terms of what his next contract would be. And that's kind of those two things are their own separate cans of worms. But but it's just a player, just in watching John Collins, I think I feel very confident that the Wolves would be getting a hell of a player who would be a pretty perfect fit on this team. I mean, John Collins is really a weapon. All right, that's all I got tonight. Uh, the Wolves are back at it Thursday night against Phoenix, 9 p.m., I will be on the Locker Room app for a little pregame thing at at 8 p.m. If you haven't made it to one of those, pop in at 8 p.m. Central that night, and we can chop anything I just talked about up or, you know, who the hell knows what's going to happen in 48 hours. Maybe there'll be a different player on the Timberwolves by then. But so so come in there, 8 p.m., Locker Room, uh, Thursday night. Until then, I'm Dane. Thanks for listening. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. So you can find me in the crowd